Undeceptions podcast. By the time William is King of England, Charles' son, in maybe 15 years' time, what of the faith will be left to defend and what of the faith will there be to proclaim? Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this? In the course of the last 70 years, we have seen our society become one of many cultures and many faiths. The institutions of the state have changed in turn. But through all changes and challenges, our nation and the wider family of realms, of whose talents, traditions, and achievements I am so inexpressibly proud, have prospered and flourished. Our values have remained. Much ink was spilled a couple of decades ago when King Charles, then the Prince of Wales, stated that he would prefer his title to be Defender of Faiths rather than the Defender of the Faith. The latter has been the title of the British monarch since King James VI of Scotland. James, that's the one of the King James version of the Bible, became King James I of England and the title has been handed down since. Charles, in his multicultural, multi-faith zeal, was ever so keen to embrace the growing religious pluralism of Britain, hence defender of faiths. Yet interestingly, prior to the death of his mother, he'd intimated that he'd prefer to keep the original title. Yet also interestingly, he said all of that at a time when the latest census data in the UK confirms what pretty much is no news to anyone who's got their ear to the ground. It turns out that there's less faith, with less Christian faith, at least, to defend. As the Guardian newspaper breathlessly reported, Census 2021 in the UK will probably be remembered as the one in which Christianity became a minority religion. It goes on. On Census Day 21 March 2021, 46.2% of people identified themselves as Christians, compared with 59.3% of the population in the 2011 Census. Now, the Guardian newspaper in the UK has often been scoffed at for getting its typography wrong, In this case, it's gotten its facts wrong. 46.2% does not make Christianity a minority religion, unless there's some other monolithic religion up there making up the other 53.8%. Clearly, that's not the case. It simply means this, that more than half of the country does not identify with Christianity. Now, that is significant. It's a huge drop of more than 5.5 million people over a decade. But as for minority, as they say, forget about it. It's still the largest religious affiliation. Now, of course, that has little correspondence with the number of people in the UK who actually go to church or even go to anything like that on a regular basis. 
And as with the recent Australian census, in which several million less people identify as Christian now, compared to two censuses ago, the numbers in the UK convey this one important conclusion. Fewer and fewer people are culturally attached to a faith that they have no meaningful engagement with. In other words, less people are sitting filling out the census data online and then racking their brains to remember when the question comes up which church it is that they never attend. That might give them a clue to their religion, perhaps. They just feel free now to tick the no religion box. And indeed, that's the fastest growing category. It's the so-called rise of the nuns. And no, that's not a zombie movie set in a monastery. The nuns are those with no religious affiliation who won't get hatched, matched or dispatched via church methods. And they seemingly feel no lack for it. As the Catholic News Agency reports in the UK, and more accurately than The Guardian, Christianity is no longer the default religion of Britain. And with 37% of the nation now claiming no religion, it may only take the Brits another census or two until the nuns become the majority. Incidentally, this also shows that in the UK, for all of its multicultural mix, other religions are still small minorities, which means talk about any overtaking of the culture by Muslims is vastly overblown. But whatever the conclusions draw from the data over the coming months and years, it's clear that something has shifted, if not in the practices of Britons, then certainly in their thinking. And that's just as it has been in Australia, and just as it will be in the United States of America. For make no mistake, although the USA is coming off a much higher base than either the UK or Australia in terms of religious and Christian observance, the trends are all in the same direction. So where's it all going? Well, as I might cheekily put it, I for one welcome our new secular overlords. Well, what I don't mean by that is that the loss of Christianity as a cultural influence will be a good thing. I don't think it will be. As historian Tom Holland points out, there is nothing particularly universal about the human rights that Christianity has given the world. Most, if not all of the ones we cherish, were birthed from a Christian framework. The value, dignity and worth of each human, in and of themselves, created in the image of God as explained by the Bible, that's what gave us those ideas. Secular squatters seem to want to live on Christian land. They don't acknowledge the owners or pay the rent. And it's no proof that such rights are self-evident. They're plainly not. And what we cherish as human rights are often not cherished in other parts of the world where Christianity has had less influence. But as is reported in the Catholic News Agency, it's clear that the drop-off in the numbers in the UK is not among actual adherents. Church figures across a variety of denominations seem relatively stable, just as they have done in Australia. Here's Professor of Theology and Sociology of Religion at St Mary's University in Twickenham, Stephen Bullivant. He says this, The biggest factor is the gradual, generational evaporation of Christianity over a period of decades. It used to be the case that Anglicanism was the default setting for English and Welsh people, 
unless you had a particular reason to be something else. But we've long ago now shifted to a position where having no religion is now the default, unless you have a particular reason to be something else. That's very well put, isn't it? And you see it, don't you? The default issue. And that's what I kind of welcome, even as I worry about what a truly post-Christian culture might be like. Because here's what Stephen Boulevant goes on to say. Of course, in the long run, it means that the only Christians left are those who have to own it. Ultimately, they're the kinds of countercultural groups, creative minorities, as Pope Benedict likes to call them, where you might hope to see some kind of counter-trends starting to appear. They're wise words, aren't they? And as Pope Benedict said elsewhere, also of the church, pruned, it grows. Perhaps it's a little like the Rust Belt cities of the United States, places like Detroit, which suffered economic collapse as industry moved offshore. Jobs were lost, whole sections of cities went to rack and ruin. It's as if the whole place started to evaporate. It shrank and shriveled, and it was a pale shadow of its former self as Motortown. Detroit experienced the ultimate pruning. But, but here's the thing, it's really interesting. A new Detroit has taken shape the past decade or so, and it's a humbler, more realistic one. The city of Detroit is actually reinventing itself, and you can go online and look at photos of it from the past and then today. Detroit can't be the city it was in the past because the old days are gone, but something new can spring up. I think that's a little like the church somehow. It can do the same thing. Interestingly, my wife and I, along with our daughter, lived in another reinvented city, Sheffield, a former steel town in the UK, and it had to reinvent itself for the same reasons. But interestingly too in that city, even 15 years ago, we noticed the complete lack of church engagement in that city. And if you've been involved for some time in a church planting movement or a church re-established movement, you'll not be surprised by the stats. People just don't think about church anymore like they used to. The other thing, of course, is that the nuns, as they're called, aren't necessarily not spiritual. They just see no place for religion. As US journalist and religious observer Tara Isabella Burton says in so much of her writing, people are now crafting self-religions, that they don't recognise as such, they don't see them as religions, but they contain the hallmarks, meaning, purpose, transcendence, community, that sort of thing. Just recently, my wife and I went to a Nick Cave concert, a great singer, a great Australian singer. And it was, how shall I put it, almost a religious experience. There was something transcendent about it. A review of the concert had this headline, Nick Cave slays fans with his version of Gospel of Love. And another review contained this line, Cave has long been the stand-in for people with no religion. In other words, at his concerts, Nick Cave offers transcendence, that pesky, won't-go-away desire for something more, something that leaves all of the experiences of this world feeling that they're almost enough, but not quite. Of course, those ticking no religion on the census or going to Nick Cave concerts are not necessarily thinking about it that way. But my goodness, the concert was deeply spiritual with a great dose of bathos about it. It helps too that every second song was Jesus infused. Perhaps Nick Cave is sneaking something in 
Or perhaps it's just a great sales pitch to a people looking for something outside of themselves. And all of this is against the backdrop of the new atheist movement that swept the West starting about two decades ago. Remember that group, the new atheists? They all seem old now, old, or as in the case of Christopher Hitchens, dead. But their chief spokesman, Richard Dawkins, is now 81 years of age. In a recent interview in the Australian newspaper, he came across as almost nostalgic for a more certain time, a more zealous time for atheism, where atheism would become the default instead of religion. And more than that, he came across dismayed. Almost that his push to diminish the role of religion has seen, in his words, his own side turn against him. What's he saying there? He's saying that he thought that once science and rationalism had won the day, then the zealotry would kind of settle down. Zealots would be a thing of the past. Yet what has he found? Here's what he's found. He's been cancelled by the quasi-religious zeal of those who hold to different gospels around sexual identity and gender, perhaps. Here's how he put it. I'd never worried about religious fundamentalists disliking me, but when it's your own team, it's upsetting. It's a remarkably foolish thing for them to do because all I did was to raise a subject for discussion. Or so he thinks. His own team? How did he come up with that idea? The idea that the loss of religious faith would somehow give way to cool, detached rationalism. It was an interesting but wrong idea made by the new atheists. Surely his evolutionary ideas would admit that a religious gene is somehow hardwired into us. And if not for formal religion, then at least something that would give us a sense of transcendence. It's almost as if people need something significant to hold on to, something that gives us more meaning. You've heard the saying, we are all made of the same stuff as stars. But then again, so are cane toads, and we want to matter more than cane toads do. Now, Dawkins is starting a national tour of Australia soon, and it will commence a couple of months after the recent Jordan Peterson tour of Australia, where the eminent psychologist finished up a national tour that was played out to packed audiences. And what do I mean by packed? Well, 9,000 people at the Sydney Exhibition Centre recently and 13,000 in Melbourne. And they were there for two hour long lectures followed by Q&A. A friend at the Sydney event told me that it was heavily populated by young people, by young men in particular. In other words, those who tick no religion on the census. Fancy that, Nick Cave, and Jordan Peterson selling out in the same country at the same time. Let's see if Richard Dawkins can still pull a crowd, at least one that isn't geriatric. You see, the search for meaning for transcendence goes on, even as Christianity seeds from the scene, or at least no longer becomes the default for people across the West. So what can we do about this? Well, here we are in the West with seemingly inevitable decline in terms of Christian adherence. And there's certainly a component of our society that sees Christianity as part of our cultural problem, not part of our solution. And there are some intriguing and dangerous threads in the story. One, Christian nationalism, that I will touch on perhaps in a later episode. 
But here's a word from an Aussie theologian with some United States ties, Michael Byrd. In his book, Religious Freedom in a Secular Age, he calls for a more weird expression of Christianity. And he means weird in a good way, not a bad way. He means that the distinction between those who are Christian and those who are not, or the nuns, should become so sharp that it's super obvious who's Christian and who's not. There's no cultural Christianity left. The reflex for some, as they see the inevitable decline as census after census softens the edges of the faith, is to become more like the culture. It's some vain hope of a lovelorn boy who keeps thinking if he changes himself enough, the girl will finally want him. But as the West comes back with lower percentages, the tactic seems to be that lower the bar, lower the bar doesn't work. <laughs> what if, counterintuitively, we raise the bar? What if the weirder we are, the better, the more intriguing? What if somehow, like Detroit, the church in the West decides that the past isn't coming back, that being the chaplain to the state isn't an option? What if this is the last King of England to defend the faith as a public act? What if a new proclaiming of faith that very few have an experience of becomes the new norm? You see, Stephen Boulevard's words are a good reminder that once again, Christians will have to own it. They will have to become the counter-cultural creative minority, much like in the first century. And what will that look like? Well, it will certainly mean being different, being weird, as Michael Bird puts it. Being different to the culture in terms of how we do relationships, how we view what it means to be human, all that sex and gender stuff that is playing out in the public square. But not simply those things. What about how we do community in an increasingly lonely culture? Can we weird that up? How we do money in an increasingly greedy culture? Can we be different to those around us? How we do forgiveness in an increasingly unforgiving and cancel culture? How we do self-denial in an increasingly self-indulgent culture? Make no mistake, there are cracks on the edges of our post-Christian society cracks at the centre, actually. The promised liberty of the sexual revolution is proving to be a bondage to so many. The unity of the sexual minority movements is coming apart as the LGB splits off from the T. So the search for meaning and identity goes on and there seems to be no stable base upon which to land it. The desire for purpose, the huge rise in anxiety, none of these things are coincidental in the West at the same time as religion Christian religion is tailing off. Something has to give. What will it be? Here's the question to land on. By the time William is King of England, Charles' son, in maybe 15 years' time, what will the percentages look like in the UK, the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand? What of the faith will be left to defend? And what of the faith will there be to proclaim? Tides go out. But tides come back in too. And as G.K. Chesterton observed a century ago, Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave.
Undeceptions podcast.